0: Good morning, everyone, and what a glorious morning, what a glorious time of worship, amen. Let's give the Lord another hand of praise, please. I count it a great privilege to stand before you today, I always do, but there is just such a wonderful sense in my heart that the word I have to share with you will be a true blessing to you, and I do trust so. But without further ado, I'd like to invite you to please bow your heads with me as I just dedicate this time of sharing the word with you to the Lord. Father, we dedicate this time of sharing the word to you. I pray, Lord, that you would move upon me, that you would use me, that you would help me. Lord, I pray that you would help me to become less and that you would become more. Lord, we love your word. We love worshiping you. We love you. And I just pray that this would be a further expression of your ministry to us today and our ministry to you too. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I've titled this message, Contend for the Word. It's taken directly out of scripture and I want to invite you, for those of you who've brought your Bibles with you today, which is everyone, thank you. I'm kidding, it's really fine. But uh, if you could turn to Jude 3, Jude 3. It's the second last book in the Bible. It's a one-pager, but it's mighty. And uh, if you are struggling to find it, go to Revelation, and it's the last page before Revelation. Hopefully that's not confusing. Okay, there we go. Um, I'm sure uh, as I hear the rustling of papers, I know that when the rustling of papers finished, that we're in a good spot for me to read. I'll give you just another moment. All right. Let's read together. Jude 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. The Amplified Bible says, fight strenuously. It speaks about our own commitment and self-investment in contending for the faith. Now, the next question is, okay, contending is to fight strenuously, it's to invest yourself, but what is the faith we are talking about? Well, the faith, according to the Amplified Bible, is the sum of Christian belief that was given verbally to believers, the whole gospel, the sum of Christian belief. Now, it was given verbally in those days because the Bible was still being written we have it in its complete form with us today. In those days, it was just the verbal attestment to his word. But it has been given to us, and it is a full and complete message. It has once for all been given. There's no adding to the gospel. There's no taking away from the gospel. It is a complete message, and our call is to contend for the complete message that has been Entrusted to us and to contend for it means that we need to invest ourselves in that process. We cannot be passive. And this brings me to my first point, which is contend for your own faith. For us to be able to share the word with people out there and to contend for the faith out there, we first have to have settled that we have contended for the faith in our own lives and our own hearts. Because it's not just what we believe. It's how much we live what we believe. It's not just what we believe. It's how much we live the message. How much do we live what we believe? Believing is wonderful. Living it is what we are called to do. Now, 1 Peter four seventeen says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? A message to the church A hard word, but a good word, because this is not judgment to damnation. This is not judgment to destruction. It is a cleansing. It is a pruning. It is a purification and a preparing. It is us calling on the Lord, asking him to cleanse us and purify us, mold us, change us, and keep us accountable to his ways. It's not something to be feared. It's actually something to be embraced. It's along the lines of the father being the gardener. Out of John fifteen, and us bearing fruit, and in order for us to bear more fruit, He comes and He prunes us, and the pruning process is uncomfortable, but it's essentially judging and getting rid of those things that are incompatible with eternity. The Lord wants to remove the things out of our life, out of our lives that are incompatible with eternity. Now, Revelations nineteen seventy eight, I'll read it to you. It says, "Let us be glad and rejoice." And give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now there's two things I really want to draw out there. One was the bride made herself ready, which speaks about, once again, us having ourselves been personally invested in this process of seeking the Lord. But secondly, what the garments of the bride of Christ is, the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now that's not things done in your own strength. That is that which is done in obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. This is not you building the house unless the Lord builds the house. Those who labor, labor in vain. He wants to build his work in us. But we've got to be proactive in that. We can't be passive in that process. We can't sit back and do nothing and expect To be made ready as his bride. We've got to bring our part to the table. But as we make ourselves available to the Lord. As we are obedient to him. He clothes us in these, 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 these garments. That are the preparation for us. For the marriage supper of the Lamb. But it is a distinct responsibility that we have. Not to be passive. We must contend for our own faith and walk with God. And not be concerned our efforts towards that is going to be some kind of religious act as well. Now, what do I mean by that? We've got a personal responsibility, but there must be life in what we are doing. We trust the Holy Spirit for that. But if I can give you an example to help explain it. Imagine a young couple, and they're very much in love. And so there's this organic love that's between them. And uh, they don't need to worry about spending time with each other. They just wanna spend time with each other. And... We often have this idea in our minds too concerning our walk with the Lord. We want a purely organic relationship with God. That we'll pray when we feel like praying, and we'll read the Word when we feel like reading the Word. Because we don't want to fall into some kind of religious rut. We don't want to make it too much of a routine, because that's just too close to religion. And that's very much what happens a lot in charismatic circles. That we actually feel like, well, I don't want to get too much of a repetitive thing going, because... Isn't that religion? Let's just keep it organic. Let's just be led all the time. But I just want to tell you, there is an aspect to having a free relationship with God, but there's also an aspect of being too free, where you need a balance between that which is planned in terms of your time with the Lord and that which is the organic part of your relationship with God and enjoying Him as the first love of your life. Now, the example I want to come to is this young couple. They're in love. They love each other. Their organic love is enough under those circumstances when they initially meet each other. They're texting each other, they're speaking to each other, they're going on dates, they're spending quality time, they're growing closer. But my question to you is, what happens to that couple when they get married and they've got busy careers and they've got young children? In order to keep their relationship healthy, they would have to schedule time, time to spend with God as a scheduled event. They would have a date night. So they'd organize a babysitter, And they would get all the practicalities together that the babysitter would come and have all the necessary things to look after the kids. And then this couple could go out on their date night, three or four hours. And in that time, they connect. And they grow closer. They, in terms of their fellowship together, they spend quality time together. It's a connecting, beautiful experience that they have. But the only way they got to that organic experience, that wonderful sharing of quality time was by planning towards it. It wasn't like the date night just fell in their lap. They had to actually proactively say, listen, I've got to do something in order to spend time with my loved one. And so practical steps are taken and then they can step into this wonderful experience of a proper date night. And so it should be with us. We need to schedule time with God every day even, and then invite him to come and fill that appointment with his presence. It's not about just going through the motions of you schedule a time with God and then you just have a bunch of, of, of repeated things you say to him. Imagine that that couple, if they were to go on their date night and they each had a script and the script was, I've got to say, I love you to my, my loved one five times. Okay, I love you, 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 is that five? Okay, that's five, tick, um, Wow. Imagine how empty that would be. And yet sometimes we do that with the Lord. We have our time with Him, but then we just go through a set routine with Him. The Lord wants that time to be filled with His life, to be filled with His Spirit. It's got to be a connecting time between us and Him. But we still need to be proactive about making that time. Now I want to share with you a a little bit about uh, out of the story of Daniel, or out of his life story. Daniel, would you say, was a spiritual man? It's a very easy question to answer. The answer is yes. He walked very closely with the Lord. He actually served under five kings and he had a position of distinction under all five of them. But under the fourth king, King Darius, the king had thought to put Daniel over the whole realm, which made the other rulers jealous. So they tried to find something wrong in his character to bring against him and they couldn't because an excellent spirit was found within him. And it was this excellent spirit that Darius had discerned, wanting to put Daniel over the whole realm, but also brought about this jealousy from his peers. So they said, the only way we're going to catch Daniel is in the law of his God. And so they, take, they formulate this idea, and they make up this decree, and they take it to the king. Now, the kings of the Medes and Persians, if they signed a decree, it could not be broken, even by the king. So once it was signed, it was signed. And the decree that they formulated was that no one would be able to approach or make a request of any God or any man except the king himself for 30 days. So Darius passes this, and I call it his triple D. Darius's Dorf decree. All right? The reason being, it was was just, there was no wisdom in his decree, in signing it. And I believe there was even a demonic influence there because the devil must have hated Daniel because he walked with the Lord and he maintained his integrity always. But nonetheless, it was passed and this was Daniel's reaction. I wanna read to you what he did with that. Daniel 6 verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks to God as was his custom since early days. Another version says, just as he always had done, as was his custom. Daniel had a custom. He repeated every day. He got down on his knees, he prayed, and he gave thanks three times a day. It doesn't say it specifically, but we can assume it might have been morning, noon, and night. Now his enemies caught him praying, and he was thrown into a lion's den, but it was turned on his enemies, and they were thrown into the lion's den and Daniel was delivered. But the point of what I wanted to bring out here was as was his custom. I want to challenge you, get a custom with God going in your life. Amen. Amen. It's not a religious act where we sometimes feel, oh, but you know what? what? What does it say? There's something about repeated stuff and vain repetitions. And I'm going to read a scripture to you which Jesus shares in Matthew 6, verse 7. And Jesus' teaching says, as when you pray and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Now, the vain repetition Jesus is talking about there is mindlessly repeating over and over a script, thinking that's holy, thinking that's going to touch the heart of God. It's coming back to that date night couple where each of them have got a script of what they're gonna say to each other the whole date night, back and forth. There's no life there. They're just going through the motions. That's a vain repetition. Spending time with God regularly is not a vain repetition. It's creating the space for the Lord to come and fill that space with his life and to inject life into your walk and relationship with him day by day by day. Now I myself am making myself accountable to you. If you see me in the foyer or at any stage, you are welcome to say to me, Murray, how is your custom with the Lord going? All right? So I'm making myself accountable to you, but I do want to challenge you to yourself get a custom with God that you would trust him every day to come and visit with you. It's not an appointment. It's an occasion with your first love. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I want to ask you a question. Do you think Daniel had a busy life? I would say yes. I want to ask you another question. Do you have a busy life? Most people here would say yes. How many of you could say your life was more busy than Daniel? The reason why I say that is think about the level of his responsibility. He was being tasked with being put over the whole realm. This was very similar to what Joseph would have experienced under Pharaoh. I could say that he would have immense responsibilities and things that he would have to take care of on an ongoing basis. Yet it never drew him away from his custom of spending time with God. It was his custom from old. So from his youngest years, he maintained that custom. As his responsibilities increased, he never decreased in spending his time with God. Because the Lord will redeem the time like no one else. But give him the space to show himself faithful on your behalf. What I want to challenge you to do is not to, in guilt, go and make some kind of long extended time. Sit quietly before the Lord, pray, look at your schedule, and say, Lord, looking at what I've got going on in my life and days, where can we make a time to meet every day that we can have that fellowship and that one on one time where I can meet with you? And if Daniel could do it, I absolutely guarantee you, the Lord will give you grace and ability to do it yourself in your own life. You will be blessed. I guarantee if you begin to initiate this, your entire walk with the Lord will be revolutionized. It will be changed. There is being free, but there is being too free. You want the Lord to move, but you've got to give him an allocated space to move in your life. You have to be deliberate about it. Now, Jesus did the same. As his ministry increased, he also continued to spend quality time with the Father. Luke 5, verse 16 to 17 says, However, when the report went around concerning him, the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and and prayed. (laughs) He spent time with the Father and the Holy Spirit. We always think Jesus spending time with the Father, but this was the time of the Trinity enjoying each other's company and praying and sharing and fellowshipping together. Because from the time that Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him for ministry, but the Holy Spirit was always with him, and the Father was always with him, and they were always together. Now we ourselves have opportunity to go and spend time with the Trinity and fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on an ongoing basis. Jesus' reaction to greater ministry was quality time with the Trinity himself. So if you have already made a habit of it, be encouraged. If you haven't made a habit, make a habit. Get accustomed. You will be blessed. Daniel 11 verse 32 says, But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Not believe in God, know their God. Who believe in God and know their God. Knowing God exercises your faith muscle like nothing else, and equips you to do great exploits for him in his name. Now, my second point is seeking his acts or seeking his ways. It's taken directly out of scripture. Psalm 103 verse 7 says, He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. There is a very big difference here. The people were satisfied with God's blessings and what he did for them, Moses was only satisfied with the Lord, regardless of his blessings. The Lord was the greatest blessing he was seeking. Now I want to ask you, are you satisfied with his blessings or are you satisfied with him as what you seek first in life? Do you seek him to get blessings or do you seek him because he is the greatest blessing and every other blessing is just a bonus, whether you get it or not? You see, Some people live church service to church service. They come in on a Sunday, they get a deposit, which is a blessing, but they don't proactively seek the Lord the rest of the week. And so they crawl across the finish line again, coming here next week Sunday for another deposit. And that's not the way the Lord wants us to live. He wants us to come to him daily. He wants us to seek him as the first prize of the day. And not just what he would do for us. You know, there's a, 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 a beautiful description in nature of how geese fly in formation. It's a V formation. Now, the front goose breaks open, essentially, aerodynamically, makes a way in the air that makes it easier for the, the geese flying behind to, to, to fly, just in general. They don't use as much energy. But the one in the front is exerting more energy. And then they swap places. They pull back, and another Goose goes forward. And then the process repeats as they, they fly to their destination. And I want to tell you on a Sunday, there is a blessing here. The worship team, the word that is that is released, the uh, corporate anointing, that is like the front goose. And you have ability to be refreshed, renewed to worship. Come and enjoy that to the full. But the rest of the week, I must challenge you to step up and to be at the front of your family. The front of your responsibilities. Where you are breaking The way and opening up the air, so to speak. And then you come in on a Sunday and you come and you be refreshed, or you go to life group and you be refreshed, or any other gathering together of the saints. But the Lord has made provision in his house that you will not be overwhelmed. But there is certainly a call for us to step up at times as well. Now, a perfect example of someone or a people that were satisfied with God's acts were the children of Israel in the wilderness. When they were hungry, they prayed, God gave them bread, or he gave them manna, he gave them quail. When they were thirsty, he gave them water, but that was enough for them. But it wasn't for Moses. He went to the tent of meeting, and in that place, he not only met with the Lord, he learned the Lord's ways. He got to know the Lord. But I need to share with you the fruit of someone who is satisfied with just his acts. Someone who is satisfied with his blessings only will be the first to question God's character when they go through difficult times. When difficult times come, if someone has just been satisfied with his acts and his blessings, they will question God's character, his very character. Someone who knows the Lord and who seeks him first, regardless of the blessings, thankful for the blessings if they come, but those are not the things that are sought first, will still have questions during difficult times, but they will not question God's character. They will yet trust Him. They will yet lean into Him. So many of the Psalms speak about this. I want to read one to you, Psalm 42, verse 1 to 3 and verse 5, where we read about a really difficult time happening. But look how the psalmist deals with that difficult time. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? Now that sounds like a really tough time. Verse five goes on to say, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Can you see the difference? It's not, I've been abandoned by God. What have you done, God? God. How can I trust you under these circumstances? It's Lord, I'm, I'm my tears are my food, but I trust in you, and I will yet hope in you. Family of God, your temporary circumstances are not a reflection of God's eternal character. You were created for eternity, not time. Child of God, why do you live for time when you were created for eternity? Live for eternity as you pass through time. We are passing through time. It's it's a blip in eternity. God has got so much more for us. Do not allow that which is temporary to draw you away from that which is eternal. 2 Timothy 2, 3-4 says, You therefore must endure hardship as, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. This is Paul writing to Timothy. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. The affairs of this life, they do need to be stewarded. They need to be looked after. We've got responsibilities. We have to work. We have to study. We have to put in our time providing. But we are not to live for those things. We are not to be entangled with those things. If you are seeking his blessings first, they will be a snare to you. If you are seeking him first, you will appreciate them for what they are. You will deal with them and navigate them, but they will not rule over you and you will not be entangled by them because you are essentially so entangled in your love relationship with God, nothing else can cause your gaze to stray from him and his call upon your life. Colossians 2 verse 2 to 3 says, set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And this is where our perspective should rest. We need to contend for our faith. We need to contend for our own faith. But we also need to live for him first in all things and not seek just the blessings and his acts. Now, this brings me to my third point, which is a compelling biblical testimony. I want to share a few aspects with you out of the life of Paul. Because his entire life was an expression and an example of contending for the faith. Paul had been captured by God's design, and he had been captured in Jerusalem. Now, he was sent from Jerusalem to Caesarea, where he would be imprisoned. The commander of the garrison at Jerusalem sent Paul with 470 men from Jerusalem to Caesarea. 470 men. Think of the resources. All right? There were 200 soldiers, 200 spearmen and 70 horsemen because Paul was a Roman citizen. This was a highly, it was an elite class of citizen in the Roman Empire. You could inherit it, gain it through an act of service or a large sum of money, but there were very, very few true Roman citizens. But because Paul was a Roman citizen, he gets this escort that takes him from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And the empire's resources are used to do it. This is God using the empire of iron prophesied about in the book of Daniel to be Paul's bodyguards. Why so many? Because 40 Jews had taken an oath that they would not eat until they had killed Paul. So if there's ever an archaeological dig with 40 skeletons clutching their stomachs, all right, the mystery has been solved. There it is. Because they never fulfilled their desire. God protected Paul. He used the empire of iron to protect Paul, his servants. But when he was in Caesarea, he had made an appeal to go to Caesar and defend his case before Caesar. This was God's will. And so the, uh, the governor Festus in Caesarea sends Paul to Rome with another Roman guard. It was a uh, a contingent under a Julius, a a centurion named Julius of the Augustinian regiment. Centurions were over about 80 to 100 people. They they, they oversaw a contingent of soldiers of 80 to 100. And once again, they were guarding Paul on this journey. They're on a ship and Paul warns them, they come to a certain place, it's fair havens near the city of Lycia off Crete. And he says, don't go from this point. If you leave from this point, disaster is coming. But they don't listen to Paul, and they sail. Within three days, there's such a bad storm that they throw the rigging into the sea. There's such a bad storm that for two weeks, there is no sun, there's no stars, just storm. And a storm so harsh, they thought they were going to die. The word says they despaired of their lives. Now remember, they used the stars and the sun to navigate in those days. So not only were they in a storm, they were lost. And how many of us at times are in a storm, but we still know where we're going? That's one thing. But it's another thing to be in a storm and you feel lost. And I want to encourage you, if that is you today, God has not lost you. The Lord knew exactly where that trip was, he knew exactly what was needed to help them and bless them. And he used Paul in that process. Now, at one point during this extended storm, Paul calls everyone together and he says in Acts 27, verse 21 to 26, Men You should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, We must run aground on a certain island. Now here we see something very interesting. The Lord said that every single one of them would be saved through Paul. But listen to Paul's warning before they leave fair havens. Remember I said that he warned them? This was his warning a little bit earlier in Acts 27. And it's Acts 27, verse 10 to 11. Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss. Not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than the things spoken by Paul. So what changed? God's word is true. Paul warned them, leave from here and our lives will be lost. There will be loss of life. Yet later, this angel says to him, the Lord has granted you the lives of everyone on the ship. I want to tell you, family of God, you are not granted something unless you are asking for something. Paul, the moment he heard that word, he began to pray. And he began to pray in the midst of the storm. He experienced the storm just as much as everyone else. The storm was so severe, they didn't eat for two weeks. That is how rough the tempest was. Paul was going through that with everyone, 276 people on board, yet only one was able to be more aware of the Lord than the storm going on around him. He was more aware of the Lord than the experience of the storm. Paul's faith pierced the storm where others were caught in its fury. And my encouragement to you is you be that man. You be that woman. You be that child. You be the one out of the 276 at work, in your family, wherever you find yourself. To not allow the storm to be the loudest voice in your life, but to hold on to the Lord, to hold on to what He has told you. I want to share with you out of Ezekiel 22, verse 30 to 31. This concerns the people of Israel at the time they were going to be taken into captivity. And the Lord says this, he says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I've recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord. Here we have a situation where no one prayed. And because no one prayed, destruction came upon the people because there was no one to plead for God's mercy. And here we see, I'm sure Paul knew this, he pleads for mercy, that in the midst of this disobedience of everyone else, God has mercy and he does. Every single person is delivered. They're taken onto the shore of Malta. It says that the natives there showed them unusual kindness. They made a fire, which means the storm must have calmed down. Otherwise, no fire would have been able to be made. And I can imagine Paul sitting there, and sharing the gospel. And why I say that is, everyone on the ship knew what he said, and they're all alive, and not one hair fell from their head. They were all saved. But the natives, as Paul is gathering sticks, it says a viper attached to his arm, and he shook it off in the fire. Now, the tribesmen there initially thought he was a murderer, and that he was going to die, and when he didn't die, they said, hmm, he must be a god. But nonetheless, I can imagine Paul sitting with a captive audience. The people of the ship and the natives, all eyes on him. It doesn't say this in the word, but what a golden opportunity to open his mouth and say, let me tell you about this Jesus that I serve. And that is what I want to leave with you. Your life must be in unison with his ways. You must be one with the Lord, but one with his ways. Contending for the faith isn't just about getting out there and sharing words and sharing the gospel. It's vital, it's critical. But contend for your own faith first. Seek to know him and not just his blessings. Thank him for his blessings. Trust him for his blessings by all means. But don't don't be entangled with the things of this life. Be entangled with your relationship with God. And then let your whole life be a testimony to who he is and who you serve. That when you speak, there's weight behind your words because the life that you've lived is a life of integrity before him. In Jesus' name. Give the Lord a hand. Amen. I'd like to just close in prayer, and then I'm gonna release the meeting. Thank you for your patience, but please pray with me. Please, I invite you to stand. Please stand. Father, I thank you for this day and this time. I thank you for this opportunity to share. I pray, Lord, that you would go with your people as they go from here. I pray that your word would be planted in their hearts, deeply in their hearts. Lord, it is written that whoever calls upon you shall be saved. We take that for salvation, but I pray for any of your people here as they call upon you for wisdom and strategy of how to include you more in their lives, of how to become more like you, how to be conformed to your image. I pray you would answer that prayer, Lord. I pray that you would stir up a hunger within your people such as never before. I pray that as the storms of the world go on, they'll be more aware of you than the storm, that their faith will pierce the storm and not be moved by the storm. The storm is there, it's a reality, but it doesn't have to rule and it doesn't have to rain because you do, in our hearts, in our lives, in our ways, in all that we are. We trust you to be with us as we go from this place, Lord. We trust you we will be lights in the darkness, salt. Lord, we trust we will be the expression of your message to this hurting, dark, and dying world, that there is a Savior and his name is Jesus. And those who follow him will be blessed and they are more than overcomers through you, Lord Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that we can trust you with us as I release your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you.